atomic gigantification was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. End of all, man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my co-host. Hello, I am Rex. How are you doing today, Rex? Ah, pretty good. You're doing, you seem to be doing well with all that high energy, wouldn't you say? Yes, I'm doing (laughs) just great. I'm doing just great, Rex. Thank you so much for being concerned. (laughs) Ah, that's great. Great to hear. Yeah. So for context for why Rex just said that, I'm at like hour 20, maybe 19. I had to go into work at 5.30 this morning, and it is currently 12.30 the following day. I haven't went to bed yet, so I am exhausted. But the show must go on. So here I am, three energy drinks in two frappuccinos in and two donuts in and i am having the time of my life let me tell you i can tell you balling oh i'm balling i am balling something (laughs) (laughs) so if i seem a little off it's probably because i am hyped up on as much caffeine and sugar as i possibly could before i die Mm mm-hmm for all we know, I could have a stroke in the middle of this recording. Like, that's how much caffeine's in my... Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you are well on your way to a heart attack. Yeah, I would I would honestly say you're probably right. This is not good for me. Not even just probably. I am right. Yeah. You know it that as or well a seizure. as I do. Or a seizure. Because I pop my neck a lot. And actually, every time you pop your neck, you get even closer to having a seizure. It's not good. It's not good. Well, you know. Yeah. So, moving on from that, it's great to be back. We're now going to take a little bit of a step back. We're going to slow down a little bit. You know, we just had a banger of like the last three months. Like, we put out so much content. We're going to get back into kind of what we, we... aim for i would say i'd say we aim for what what this month uh this will be february kind of what we aim for in february Mm. yeah the last few months have been pretty pretty crazy and particularly october and january with (laughs) weekly uploads then weekly yeah intentionally so but you know sometimes these things uh they happen work out they they do happen they do happen. And, you know, I, I do we do we want to let the listeners in on kind of the surprise uh, that you and I both got recently? Oh. So our last episode, we talked about the 2004, correct? 2004? Yes. 2004 live action adaptation of Go Nagai's Devilman. Awful movie. Awful. Absolutely awful. It (laughs) officially holds the record for our most downloaded episode on its premiere day. Why? We don't know. For Devilman. 
of all movies. Like, you know? Yeah. Like I and I, I I'm gonna guess that Godzilla vs Kong episode held it before that, but it's like how did that happen? Like that's insane. My my best guess is honestly what someone um, suggested to us earlier, and that we just got that traction from <laughs> from anime fans, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. I don't know if Devil Minds had a recent spike in popularity or or whatnot. But here's my rebuttal to that: we don't talk about the anime. We even establish in the thumbnail and in the title. And in the description, it's a live-action film. So I don't understand well, yeah, how... Yeah, the anime fans who maybe, maybe watched the film and were curious to hear some opinions on it, you know? Maybe I, I don't know. It's just, it's so weird. And we've... I don't know. It feels like we're getting a lot more traction lately. Maybe it's because we've been posting so much. Mm, maybe. But it's not to I, say, like, really. Like we've said in the past, uh, right before 2023 came along, this is going to be our year. And I, you know, even even with like me going on 20 hours of no sleep and like so much energy that like I, I make a five year old who is eating ice cream look like a chill person. Like, I mean, you, you make that sound like it's not this like you make that sound like a new thing. What? Oh, well, I mean, I don't dr- I try to not drink this much. Like by the end of this recording, I will have like 700 to a thousand. I'll have a gram. I will have one gram of caffeine in me, which is over double the recommended. Nice. So like I am over hyped up on sugar and caffeine. <laughs> like I should probably not be awake right now. Or when I do go to sleep, I'm going to crash I mean, so isn't that hard. Pretty normal for like every recording. You realistically shouldn't be. Okay, I've been trying to do better. I've been trying to do better. Really? Yes. Really now? Yes. But moving on from from the disaster that is my life. Have you watched any tokusatsu lately, Rex? Yes, actually. I've been... uh, I believe last time I mentioned that I had been watching Kamen Rider, which has continued. I am now halfway through the damn series. (laughs) And I've even uh, watched the 30-minute short film Kamen Rider vs. Shocker from 1972. That's, That's episode 50, technically, right? Um... No, that because there's. I'm trying to remember if the Unicornos episode was 49 or 51 because that's the one that comes right before that movie. Whatever, I'm. I've seen like at least 50, 51 episodes worth, something like that. Yeah, because the movie is like the halfway point through the the series, to my understanding. More or less, I think I'm pretty sure it comes after like episode 51. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty certain. Now. In Kikaida, there is a three. There's a movie, mm-hmm. but it is technically like it. It's canon, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. Is it like that, or is it is it absolutely um, in canon to the show? 
Well, I haven't watched um I haven't watched the following episodes yet, but I don't see right, any reason why it couldn't be canon. This is actually the first uh this movie actually features the first time where the original Kamen Rider, Takeshi Hongo, does his signature uh transformation pose. Oh really? Oh, so th- this was the first Henshin, technically? No, no. Um for the Henshin yeah. move, like because Kamen Rider uh, Nigo, the Kamen Rider Two, does um, when he's introduced, that is the first um, Kamen Rider henchman pose. Okay. Yeah, I'm learning new stuff. Because Hongo didn't originally have one. It's kind of just like whenever he's like moving fast, or whenever he does like a certain type of flip or something, that's sort of when he transforms because of like a a wind turbine on his belt. Gotcha. Yeah. Outside of that, I have seen uh, the 1986 short film Biotherapy, which is like a, a splatter a splatter film about a an alien from the future. I don't think I've heard of that one. It's all right. It's all right. It has um. Oh, what's his name? Shoji Nakayama from Ultra Seven, the captain from Ultra Seven. Okay. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. Definitely not for everyone. If if you don't like gore, you may not be interested. But it's 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 a decent like sort of Japanese giallo style short film. Okay, so it it was inspired by like Italian horror and whatnot. It, it feels like that. It feels like that. Okay, like just particularly in like the aliens' appearance, like mm-hmm. the dark trench coat type that blacked out face and hat and all that type stuff. Okay. Very, very Jalo-esque. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. And then, uh, what else? I watched the third female prisoner scorpion movie the other day. And then outside of that, oh, how could I forget? Ring. I, I think it's, um, well documented that I am a, a bit of a fan of the Ring franchise. Just a little bit. It's it's a little well documented. So I had the... I was going to say pleasure, but I don't know if that's the right word. The gift? I I had the opportunity to watch the newest Ring film, Sadako DX. Oh, really? How'd that go? Um, well, it's, it's a comedy that I did not laugh once at. Actually, it's it's a comedy. No, that's a lie. I chuckled maybe once or twice. It's a comedy. Yes, it is a horror comedy. I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. It has some interesting ideas. I think using Sadako and, and specifically the ring virus as a metaphor for COVID I think I think that's a good I think that's a good idea and fits kind of fits with the franchise. I just don't like its execution at all. It kinda the ending of a movie kind of downplays the potential severity of both COVID and Sadako's curse <laughs> to the point of being like the end scene feels like something straight out of a parody. Wait, 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 wait. So it turns the Sadako curse into a symbol for 
COVID? Yeah. It's like a new variant of the Sadako curse. Okay. <laughs> I, I I don't know how to feel about that. I'm going to be honest. I, I, I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah. I, I'm still not sure entirely how I feel about the film either, to be honest. So that's a, that's a good analogy. I don't know if I like it. I don't know if it's an improvement or if it's worse than um, the last Japanese ring film. Sadako Which would be... Okay, yeah. That was directed by Nagata, wasn't it not? Yes. Okay. You see, that film, I feel, has like better direction for the horror sequences. I just think it's a real it's a really boring and drawn out script. Whereas this one was less boring. I'll I I I'll give it that. It was less boring. But it never there was no moment particularly in the horror that left me satisfied. Um whereas Sadako 2019 I feel had one one or two sequence yeah, one sequence in the middle. Um, when Sadako appears, where I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah, this is good. This is Nikata. And yeah, Sadako DX is kind of depressing. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I, I don't know how to feel about that. Mm. I, I, I'd I like really to don't. give it another watch to form a more conclusive opinion on it. But at the current, at, at my at this current point in time, not a fan, unfortunately. I wanted to at least find it okay, but I don't know. I just, as someone who thinks that the that this franchise has a lot of potential for existential terror that has not that has only only really been explored briefly in the first two films, being Ring and Spiral. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this. The I, I I can just see where you can like having Sadako represent COVID could work. It could work really well, and there are some good ideas occasionally sprinkled in. That part of the message is good. It's just it's just not well written enough, <laughs> and that's the unfortunate bit. Oh, and it's also horribly edited. Oh, that's even better. The editing is genuinely terrible. I did like sometimes it'll just be like constant quick cutting in very, very simple dialogue scenes. It's just like, why? Okay. Oh wow! <laughs> looking it up, it's from the same writer who did um. The Common Rider Amazons movie. Okay, that makes sense now. And the director we just covered. Oh, oh no, it was an actor, wasn't it? What? What's this? Was it an actor that was in like Devil Man or something? Was also in Sadako um, DX. Um, um, no, they were in Sadako 3D. No, there was somebody that was recently like in Sadako DX that we just talked about. Um, what the director Hisashi Kimura. Because he did, because um, because we mentioned how he did the um, uh, Abba Ranger special, the twentieth. Oh, that's it. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, that is 
better than this. <laughs> well, considering it's Sentai and it's not as horror based, I, I imagine it should be. Mm. That's true. I'm just, yeah. Okay, yeah. This being from the writer of the Carmen Rider Amazons movie is starting to make a little bit more sense to me. <laughs> Dang. I, it's I did that not bad. Like the, I love the show Amazons. I, I think the Amazons movie has a decent end for like one of the characters, one or two of the characters. But God, it was so boring. And you know, that's another movie that took this sort of horror, uh, a horror-ish sort of series and added some pretty out-of-place comedy in certain scenes. So thinking back to that, I'm, I'm noticing a trend. I see. Okay. Hmm. I'm, I'm noticing. I, I maybe I should have paid more attention to who was writing the film before. I <laughs> you know, they they do say like J horror, especially is like it's more than just a director's game. Like producer, especially and writer. A writer mm. is very important as well. Yes, the writer was very important in this film, and unfortunately, they could not. They could not manufacture comedy above, haha, this character is doing something kind of weird. So good on them, See. I guess. Sure. <laughs> so beyond uh, Sadako DX, have you watched anything else? Well, there is one other film that I've watched that you, I believe, also watched. But knowing your track record, you... May Look, man, I'm exhausted. I don't even remember what I've watched yesterday. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Because so, today we're talking about Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. What's that movie about? Um, Puss in Boots. Never watched it. Have you ever seen Shrek? Maybe. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You. I don't know. You should like. Do you know the green ogre guy? Hulk? <laughs> the, the one that talks about onions and how they have layers. The green giant? The one that's friends with a donkey and a cat. Are you okay? No, I'm not. Have we not established that I'm the opposite of okay? How do you not know who Shrek is? Look, man, we all make mistakes. Know? We all make mistakes in it's life. Just a simple mistake. Speaking of mistakes, it was it was a mistake to make Hideaki Anno a director. Let me tell you. Oh, okay. Why is that? Because I feel like I feel like I've watched some of his films beyond Shadow directing Shin Ultraman and, and obviously Shin Godzilla. I feel like there's another movie I've watched by him, but I don't remember what it is. Oh yeah, that was that was the other film I watched yesterday. Sorry, I watched two movies yesterday. The first was Puss in Boots, and then I watched this other one that, you know, humorously enough, it came out the exact same year as Devil Man. And it's based on a manga from the same author. Really? Yes. Really? Yeah. What What movie is this? It's It's called Cutie Honey. 
And it was directed by Hideaki Anno. I feel like I... Is that Tokusatsu? Yes. Believe it or not. Really? Yes, there's people in suits and they they look they look like Kaijin. There's a ton of there's some Kamen Rider tributes, Ultraman tributes even. So you're saying there's a Tokusatsu film that we could cover? No. Really? Is that and, what I'm you know, saying now? That would line up perfectly because it's February and you know what happens in February? Oh, what? What what's Valentine's sort of Day? Ah, oh, I see, I see. So, you know, maybe we should talk about Cutie Honey. Maybe we planned this from the start. What? Maybe I'm doing this stupid bit that I do every single time. I can't wait till we get till we start getting enough traction for people to say how much they find this bit annoying. <laughs> You know, it's going to come. It's going to come, and they're going to say, dude, just move on. Like, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's awful. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we are covering the 2004 movie Cutie Honey, directed by Hideaki Anno. <laughs> certainly a, a film we've covered. Or we're yes. So, okay. Right off the bat, do you just want to get right into this film, just start talking about it and, and just go from there? I mean, I think it would be very fitting given this film just kind of gets right into it itself. It does. So to begin the movie, right off the bat, we had this great Ultraman reference, but also a Godzilla reference. And I love that from it. Mm. <laughs> I love the fact that Ono like... And this is something I want to say throughout, and and this is kind of my overall, like, this is my main idea, is this feels like the prototype to what Anna would go on to do. Oh, absolutely. Like, throughout um, throughout this movie, I sort of noticed a couple things just in how it's written that reminded me a lot of both Shin Godzilla and Shin Ultraman. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, like... Beyond the beyond the, the the Ultraman reference, which in the Godzilla reference, which for anybody who doesn't know or hasn't seen the movie yet, uh, Cutie Honey has a little flip phone with her, and the flip phone flip phone flip <laughs> phone. Oh boy, the flip phone has a ringtone that is the Ghidorah roar, which is a reference to or the Ghidorah beady beady, I guess, which. Same Obviously, it's the beady beady, right? Yes. But it's also the ringtone for the SSSP from the original Ultraman. Mm, something that sadly was not carried over into Shin Ultraman. Which is weird because I don't think it was a rights issue because Cutie Honey could do it. it. Yeah, if they could include it in Cutie Honey, there, there's no way they couldn't include it in Shin Ultraman. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it was just Anna was like, I've already done this before. I'm not going to repeat myself. Maybe. It's entirely possible, honestly. But then again, it feels like there's some ideas here that are sort of repeated in, say, Shin Godzilla. Yeah. Um, and I would even argue from what little we've seen of Shin Kamen Rider as well. I feel like. 
it's been repeated there. But well, I, I, I feel like that we'll probably be able to compare Shin Kamen Rider to this film in at least some regards stylistically, if nothing else. That might be an interesting discussion in of itself is the influence that Cutie Honey has on Ono's Kamen Rider. That mm. that actually interests me greatly. I can't. That's something I really want to talk about now. <laughs> <laughs> but but sadly, Shin Kamen Rider is still about a month or two away. Yeah. So let's 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 go back a bit here. I don't want to get too far ahead of us because there is a plenty of time to talk about the Henshin and the Ultraman and the Godzilla and all the influences Ano clearly had on this film. Mm. So we get kind of a steamy moment. At the beginning, looking past the Ultraman reference and the Godzilla reference, yeah, it starts off with Cutie Honey in a bathtub, which I took that as it was a nod to the original show, which I've heard is pretty sexualized, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, it was it's one of the first shonen manga to, if not the very first shonen manga, to focus on a female protagonist, so... Honestly, not too surprising. Yeah, and you know, one thing I really found interesting about this movie is we go. There's no slowing down like at this beginning. It just it throws you right into it. Like there's no build up, there's no exposition really. It just it goes. It, it gives you the bare minimum you need to know that a, a guy has been kidnapped and Cutie Honey's going to save him. Mm-hmm. And then I I mean, I'll get into the rest of the story later. So she gets a call. We find out somebody's been kidnapped and she has to save them. And this I, I do think this film, it's, it's obviously a comedy and the bonus features. They described it as a satire. Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I definitely see that at the end of the film as well. Right. So I'm, I, I definitely think the comedy here lands a little better than stuff like than Shin Godzilla, in my opinion. I think this is actually Ano's funniest script he's written, if I'm going to be honest. Uh, I, I, I think Shin Ultraman is pretty funny. This, I don't know, I, th- I thought it was funny at times, but it's not all my type, not all my brand of humor, personally. Sure, sure. Now, let me, does this technically count as a henshin hero? Is Cutie Honey a henshin hero? I don't see any reason why she wouldn't be a henshin hero, because she transforms. Mm-hmm. And she has a slogan. Hell, she even has a bike. Yeah, actually, that was one of my biggest, that's something I wrote down, is like, she has a motorcycle. She yeah, transforms. She rides it for longer than most modern common riders. Really? Is that I mean, a, yeah, like yeah, sarcasm or is that true? I'm partially just making that as a jab, but like due to actual laws in Japan at the moment, Kamen Rider really can't do all that much with the bikes, at least at this point in time. So they usually only use like sparingly in a couple episodes here and there, at least in so, the more modern shows I've seen. So it's more of a common than a writer. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> huh. Some shows okay. don't even call them common writers. That feels horrible. That that feels like a sin. <laughs> yeah, in Gaim they're called like the armored writers, which I was like, bruh, 
Okay. Interesting. But anyways, but back to Cutie yeah, Honey. Yeah, and it, back onto the topic. So Cutie Honey finds out that she needs energy. And mm. the way she gets that is by eating... Stuffing her face with onigiri? Rice rolls, yeah. right? I, I think the I think the name for them is onigiri. Something like that. I, I could be butchering it. <laughs> and after she eats like 100,000 of them... She like has the power to henshin, which kind of feels like a like parody of the henshin heroes. Mm. Probably, probably is to be honest. I mean, especially if this is a satire, as you said it was described to be, that that may very well be the intent. Mm-hmm. So after we get the henshin, we get the bike scene, and then. <laughs> We're just thrown into the action. Yeah. Uh, we we are introduced to our Panther Claws mm. and the... Well, our Shocker-type evil organization. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I haven't watched Kamen Rider. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't watched any Kamen Rider besides, like... Yeah, Sinful. Yeah. But I have seen Kikaida, which Kikaida was made by Shotaru Ishinomori produced by Toei and had a ton of common uh, Rider connections. And from what I've been able to gather, Kikaida is basically common Rider, just a little different. So you'll hear me link it back to Kikaida, but I think the same can be said about common Rider. I just don't want to come across this ignorant and say, oh, this is like Kikaida yeah. when it's really common Rider. I mean, I mean, here's the thing with that. It's like, obviously, all these like shows and organizations have their differences, but with Kamen Rider and Kikaida, it's the same production company and a lot of, and a lot of the same or very similar cast and crew. Um, and you know, there was a formula to these shows. Well, I I do, feel, well, I do feel they. Do different. They they obviously differentiate themselves in their own ways, whether it be for their heroes and all that. You know, it's there's going to be some glaring similarities. I don't think either comparison is wrong to make. Yeah. So, like, you, which one was specifically like the shocker villains to you? Um, just the grunts themselves, like okay. the the ones in in the all black suits and the panther claws, the minions. Yeah. Yeah, and the one, and especially given how they're wearing like masks that obs- sort of obscure their face, mm-hmm. um, but keep the eyes and like the mouth exposed, kind of, it's kind of similar to the lucha, like the lucha libre. I could be butchering that uh, type masks that the shocker um, henchmen in the second arc onwards of Kamen Rider have. Yeah, see, I I thought they were they reminded me a lot of the dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, androids. Dark is the the villain corporation of Kikaida, ran yeah. by Doctor Gill. So uh, it's probably they, very similar, to be honest. <laughs> and they they actually reminded me of the terrorists from Iron King as well. They had the cool hats and all that too. So I like you said it was it was pretty. I mean, there was a formula, and even if it was like Iron King, which had kaiju in it as well. It, the formula was everywhere. Even Ultraman Leo uh, had like those kind of that group of people in all black that 
Leo fought at the end of his arc, which oh, was, was awful, that the like the alien, um, the the magma aliens, like I think so, the ones yes. in like all black with like white faces or something. Yes, like, yes, 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 yes. Okay. So, like around the nineteen, and I think Leo was that was seventy three to seventy four, I believe. Yeah, it, it was definitely around that time because Return was seventy one. So you know, right after Common Rider, you in seventy one or seventy one, seventy two, yeah, seventy two. Common Rider came out and started airing in seventy one, ended in seventy three. Okay, so yeah, like right after Common Rider, you uh, you kind of saw that uh, Iron King. I believe Iron King was seventy two to seventy three. Mm-hmm. And I then mean, you Cutie saw... Honey itself was uh, the Cutie Honey anime. I believe was seventy three. And the manga was coming out around the same time. Okay. So, yeah, because Cutie Honey was around the same time as Devil Man, right? Yeah, roughly. I think okay. it might have been just after, but I could be wrong on that. Gotcha. So, yeah, and, and I think you said in our last episode, Go Nagai was heavily inspired by Shotaru Shinomori, right? Uh, well, Shotaro Ishinomori was his mentor, to my understanding. So I, I think it's understandable that, you know, you would see similar concepts bleed in. And I think Cutie Honey, mm-hmm. like, it was is a blaring example of how Nagai was inspired by his mentor. Because mm-hmm. of these, the uh, Panther Claws specifically, and the villains themselves uh, were first introduced to Golden Claw. Mm-hmm. which is a ridiculous <laughs> suit. Actually, all four of these main, like, colored <laughs> panther claws were all designed by different people. And uh, I, I think they're crazy, but I think they work, and they, they match perfectly with the whole 70s vibe that they're trying to give. Oh, very much. And they match very well alongside the the main design for Cutie Honey as well, too. Which... I thought the design for Cutie Honey looks pretty sleek. Like it, it doesn't look bad. It it doesn't. It didn't feel seventies to me. It felt more kind of maybe nineties. It feels like a bit of a mix of like those seventies those seventies elements that you know are the core of the character's original design, while still having a bit of modernization to it. Which I think all of these designs have, to be fair. Yeah, but like, I I feel like the your colored, the the colored uh, panther claws, especially like they scream nineteen seventies to me. Even some of the other side characters that I'll get into here in a little bit scream nineteen seventies to me. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think they do tribute the um, original design, though, during the transformation sequence, though, at the beginning. Yes, with the anime section? Oh, no, 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 no. They just, like, before, like, the shoulders um, appear, because mm-hmm. in the transformation, it's like the the costume starts from the legs up mm-hmm. and then goes to a neck and then it does the two shoulders. Um, before it does like the shoulders, it's it's how it looks is pretty close to what the original design was. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. So, 
I, I, I want to talk about the anime thing I just brought up, but before that, so we were pretty much fast forward from Honey and her, I'm just going to call her Honey. She's called Honey in the movie. We fast forward from her and her bath to getting the energy to appearing on this island where the professor is abducted. It's really fast. It just kind of throws you into it, which is a little like, what's going on? Like, it's crazy. But this also is our introduction into our police side character, who she becomes, I would say, the central emotional focal point of the entire story. Yeah. And what I find interesting is in the these opening shots, you see very early onoisms, the quick cuts and the extreme angles, but it's not as artistically refined? I don't know if refined it's just it feels a little more standard to studio desires. Mm. I, I can sort of see that. It didn't it didn't immediately stand out to me as much as like say even though this isn't directed by Arno technically, um Shin Ultraman the mm-hmm. the cinematography in that stood out to me pretty immediately um especially like when in that film we're introduced to like Asami and we're and we're in like the SSP's main office building right that in particular i'm like oh yep this this is definitely like Ahano's almost trademark style of filmmaking where he, where he takes a lot of um Akio Jisoji's filmmaking style. <laughs> right. Yeah, and like I you kind of see that with when the helicopter's landing and whatnot, they Ano kind of tries to do that with the quick cuts as well. Mm-hmm. But I mean you see it in the fight too between uh Cutie Honey and the um Panthaclaw mm-hmm. minions and um the gold claw. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and even at some mo- moments like when Cutie Honey is kicking or jumping in the air or, like, one of the Panther Claws minions is, like, flying in the air, it feels very, like, 70s Ultraman or even Kamen Rider. Like, oh, definitely Kamen Rider. Like, when she's, like, flip, when Cutie Honey's flipping around in the air um, at the beginning of that fight, of a fight with the minions, that is just straight up just 71 Kamen Rider. <laughs> Which is, again, it's really interesting because... You know, 20 years later, Anno is ghost-directed an Ultraman movie and directed a co- is directing a Kamen Rider movie. Mm. So I, I, I think it's it's so interesting to see, like, this almost feel like his starting point in, in that Henshin, Seijin genre mm. of live action. Mm. I mean, I'm sure you could find more, like... More sim- similarities to like Ultraman and Kamen Rider in his earlier works, like Evangelion, obviously mm-hmm. is basically Arno's Ultraman before you know working pretty heavily on Shin Ultraman, right? And I'm sure some of his other works, like Gunbuster, probably I feel like they're going to have some Ultraman references in there somewhere. I mean, on a, like if Cutie Honey is any example, it it. First minute, it's going to have an Ultraman reference, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but so we get the Anoisms, and and you can see those throughout. But it's it's not as 
refined or like prevalent as it typically is. It, it definitely, unless you know it's an auto film, I feel like for the most part, you're going to miss that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I think, I, I think that's why I don't dislike cutie honey that much uh, as of yet, at least because it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't dwell on what Anno has later on went to establish as the Anno look. Mm, no text on screen this time. Yeah, that's another interesting thing is text is completely omitted from this <laughs> this uh this movie. Like there's hardly any text on the screen ever. Mm. Yeah, nah. You you it's it's one of those things where you just Anything on it, you're you're gonna expect like some text on screen. Even Ava, like it's not as overbearing in Ava as it is to like say Shin Godzilla or Shin Ultraman. But you know, you still get the Arno's trademark text on screen during certain episodes of Ava, and to just have it completely absent here is odd. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's odd. It's it's almost kind of. Like it, it doesn't feel like Anno because of that. You could almost watch the movie. I feel like and think, oh, this isn't Anno, and believe that. Mm. Plot twist: It's actually directed by Akio Jisoji himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of Anno's direction, one thing that I, I, I think I caught him making a mistake on is oh. when Cutie Honey finally gets to the fight. Yeah. She grabs the police detective. And pulls her to safety. I'm pretty sure you can see her mic pack in her back pocket. Pretty sure. Hmm. I'd have to give that another look. I I, I didn't notice it, but maybe you're right. And see, I'm the I'm the picky one that looks for I mean, the small it, details. Isn't, isn't she a police officer? Can that also possibly be, be like a radio or something? It could be, but I. I... I don't know if it is. I don't think it is. I didn't see it looking like a a walkie-talkie. Maybe. It's it's hard to say. The scene is edited so fast. (laughs) This is true. This is true. So, but after this, I thought was one of the most interesting things, and I think this helped develop Anno's whole fan service-y thing that I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, (laughs) We get an actual anime opening for the movie. Yeah. Now, I haven't watched Cutie Honey, and you might know the answer. I don't know. Is this an original animation, or is this like taken straight from the original anime? So, from what I, from what I was able to gather from actually like watching the opening animation um, from the original '73 show, it's mm-hmm. it's entirely new animation, but it's just the visual style of it and the song itself is a tribute to the original. Um, okay. Cause like a lot of the visual um, designs and some of the, like the tile patterns, for example, in it, those are like just tributing visuals from the original opening. Okay. Um, and the song is like a new cover of Mm -hmm. the original song from that anime opening. Gotcha. And I thought that was really interesting to see the whole, uh, the whole anime and the anime uh, 
sequences are also throughout this as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting to see Anno trying to kind of combine both your anime and tokusatsu. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting watching this after Devilman, where like both of these films, obviously they're live action adaptations of anime, um, but you know both films also make attempts to sort of they make attempts to adapt the visual style of an anime and integrate it in mm-hmm. to a live action film, and where Devilman sort of just. It's kind of just a thing that happens in Devilman occasionally with like little bits of like action sequences with, yeah, um, just inserted here. There's, you've got the, like, you've got the actual anime animated sequences, like the opening and some flashback scenes that are 2d animated, Mm -hmm. but then you've also got the, some of the action scenes as well, they were, they're sort of like choppy and they're very, very much, um, how do I just, it, it's kind of hard to describe. Um, they they followed the, the anime style because I know what you're talking about. Like they, they're jumping frames to move the action yeah. faster. Because I know what they did is they actually just got the actress, the actress, and whoever else was in, like the shots to actually just do the key poses, and then they edited it all together, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily like it, but I, I do think it's interesting and, frankly, more creative than how Devilman took to approaching it. Right. Even though no, I, I do agree. like Devilman's approach. Um, I just feel that it, it's just it felt inconsequential to Devilman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I for Devilman it just it. I mean that movie I felt like just didn't work across the board. <laughs> in a, <laughs> I mean, in a yeah. lot of in a lot of regards, and that's something Cutie Honey I think does right is is it stays true to the original source material to my knowledge as far as I know. Yeah, from what I understand. <sighs> You see, from what, admittedly, neither of us are exactly experts on the the cutie honey war, so we could be completely mistaken. But from what I understand, there's a lot of differences in like some of the characterizations, but the basic premise is kept the same. Okay, um, cutie honey herself, and like the sister Jill character, those aren't very faithful to their act to their original personalities. Mm-hmm. But again, it, the premise itself is mostly the same. Okay. Okay. That answers that one. So kind of moving on along with this scene, we get cutie honey fighting the evil villains. Uh, we get a bit of an exposition dump with kind of the idea of what the, the villain wants and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then at the towards the end, the villain gets tired of Cutie Honey and decides to blow up the whole island, pretty much. <laughs> now, in my notes, I I put Nakano question mark because of the sheer amount of like explosions this was. Yeah, <laughs> but I also wanted to point out, and I, I think this is something that's throughout: is the CGI does not hold up that well, nor does the composition in a lot of sequences. Yeah, I mean, in its defense, it 
it's it's two thousand. It's a two thousand four Japanese production. Like you, you're not really going to get all that particularly great composition. Uh, like uh, yeah, image compositing. Sadly, mm-hmm. now it would have been nice to get some practical explosions, but it is what it is. I'm frankly, I'm just more bothered by like the the color um, grading. I'm not a fan of the overly saturated colors yeah and in in this first fight there is a few moments where like it gets really bright red mm-hmm. and i just i never thought that worked out really well i thought it was kind of a i i think i just think it's a very mid-2000s it like dates not even it just instantly mid-2000s per se i just think it's i i get what it's going for with like that sort of pop look but it's just not my thing. I think it's um, just, it's, too, I like the idea. It's just too much. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I didn't like, yeah, cause there's red. I think there's another sequence of red black. It's extensive. And I think even like white or like just a bright lens as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, it definitely has those those final wars moments, if if you will, with its color grading. Uh, I, I, I think mean, those final wars' color grading, to be fair, was from what I understand, that was like for mainly for the home video release. Apparently, hmm. supposedly the theatrical cut was um, a lot closer to that like German DVD mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. going around in terms of like how the color grading is. Interesting. I didn't know that. I don't know how true that is, but I've just heard that once or twice recently. I see. I see. So I, I think the specifically the island sequence is both one of the coolest aspects of this film and also kind of one of the lesser due to those effects. There's even a bad effect where the golden uh, golden uh, claw golden claw is like throwing cutie around and it, it just, it looks awful. Absolutely awful. I don't know. It's, it's not a good looking effect, but like, honestly, off the devil, man, it's like (laughs) (laughs) off the devil, man. Yeah. The 2004, I'll take this. Yeah, and you know, I I will say this. I think Devil Man is more dated than Cutie Honey. I'd put Cutie Honey like two or three years after Devil Man. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and you know, I and I think while yes, there are bad effects and like the explosions, especially there's a wide shot of the island, and the effects look like they were just layered on top. Like it doesn't look good, but for where it loses its visual effects i think it makes up in and honestly the characters i think the characters are some of the most interesting aspects of this film mm-hmm. uh one of them being the journalist which i love his outfit the journalist Aww. is introduced right after this fight is kind of like the dude who's been watching from the shadows and he has a very 70s outfit that reminds me of jiro sidekick who is a uh, investigator detective in Kikaida. Yeah, for me, he reminds me of Hay- Hayato Ichimonji, um, who, is, who was Kamen Rider 2. 
in mm-hmm. the 71 series, especially with the hat. <laughs> the hat yeah, and the hair. And the, see, the hair, not so much, but the hat, uh, the detective in Kakaida had, which is why I get those vibes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's it's a very of that time look. That it is. It very much is. Um, so as quickly as the fight kind of started, it kind of ends though, because mm-hmm. eventually Cutie Honey infiltrates and like beats all the bad guys, and then the bad guy is still okay, and he somehow abducts her uncle, still the scientist. Yeah. But then Cutie quickly dispatches him, and like the uncle's okay. So like <laughs> that was hilarious when she just used like the the boomerang ability. And it's so weird. Like it just it comes out of nowhere, I feel like. I I honestly just think it's a I I think that's a good comedy moment. Perhaps. I I could see that. <laughs> uh and then we try to the detective tries to arrest Honey, which fails, which I I expected, like that's something I just expected. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And then we we start to slow down a bit. It, it picks up, but I feel like it only picks up when the villains are relevant. I feel like it slows down for everything else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that, honestly. I mean, the villains are kind of the ones that are driving most of the plot forward. Whereas, like, most of our scenes with honey and even some of the side characters to an extent it there's little bits of exposition but it's mostly just char- it's it's mostly just characterization which isn't bad per se mm-hmm. um it, it's actually honestly we get more of a look into these characters lives than we do in most of Arno's um filmography um, yeah that that's something else that's really weird is because usually Anno kind of brushes over the 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 minor details and goes for the broad stuff for the yeah. specifically referring to characters but this one's all about like your triangle your triad almost i would argue almost a love triangle uh, mm. to some regards but i'll i'll explain that here in a bit yeah yeah no and i think that's sort of one issue I had is that I felt we went, we go from this very, you know, very fast paced opening, which I, I really enjoyed that opening and it sort of kept that pace at first, but then it just, it, it following this sort of opening 15 minutes, the film just drags a lot for me. It, it feels like it's dragging its feet. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, especially later on, I think it drags its feet and it gets really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that kind of kept me from being like kind of finished with the film was we had appearances from uh, actors that would later go on to work <laughs> with Ano, uh, such as the actor who had become the prime minister for Shin Ultraman, Shin Ultraman a third episode in a row on a movie featuring him. <laughs> Which was really weird. Like, I saw him and I was like, wait a minute. Like, we just talked about this guy. Andy was in Shin Ultraman. <laughs> and I was I was so excited. I was like, this is so weird. Like, we didn't even plan that. Mm. But, like, even speaking of um, characters that – or actors that would later appear in Arno's filmography, later filmography, the detective character is played by 
Mikako Ichikawa, whom was a was she a biologist in Shin Godzilla? Uh, I think so. Yeah, um, she she's one of the characters that sort of became um, one of the more popular characters in Shin Godzilla. I'd say not not as popular as Satomi Ishihara's character, but you know, still fairly recognizable. I'd say to right. anyone yeah. who's seen the film. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and I think it's really awesome because we also have. Uh, don't we have a Garo actor? Yes, yes, we do. We have um, my sorry, what's the same? Um, Masaki Masaki Kiyomoto, um, who plays Cutie Honey's uncle. He was a he is um, plays a character called Ryuzake in the Garo series, and has appeared in various Garo features, including the original to most recently the Moonbo Traveler movie. Mm-hmm. And he is also, he also appeared in alongside Sonny Chiba and Hiroyuki Sonata in the legend of eight samurai. Really? Yes. As one of the titular eight samurai. I didn't know that that automatically gives him a win. <laughs> and he, he even directed his own Tokusatsu feature once. Oh really? Yeah, what the a... Skull Soldier in uh, nineteen ninety two, which featured a character design by Keita Amamiya, aka creator of Gaara. Really? <laughs> huh? Now I gotta check even, that out. What's... Even more of a really is that sup- supposedly, according to Letterbox, when I was checking this out, uh, Super Raya may have been involved in that, or at least one of the Super Raya's. Hmm. Interesting. Because mm. there are a cu- there were a couple companies by the Subaraya family, and they're not all can they're not all Subaraya productions. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not sure the... which one. It, it was probably the one that was doing like Geki Dama and like the Rape Men movies. I, I could okay. be wrong with that, but that's my best guess. Because I know there was a different Subaraya that did the Ultra Q movie than the one that we. <laughs> oh all... yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think that was a different one to the one I'm talking about, but I I know what you mean. I know what you okay. mean. Okay, okay. Alrighty then. So, you know, as we're talking about characters, and I I mentioned my love for the journalist character. And one of his my favorite things about him is just his ridiculous looking car. <laughs> we get to see it after the fight, and like they're all talking. The detective. Uh, the police detective and cutie honey, they're all talking and he's driving his car and he's sitting in it, like keeping up to pace with them walking. And I thought that's so ridiculous, but like it works perfectly. It fits the tone of the movie. Mm -hmm. And the movie is not it. Like the movie doesn't take itself too seriously and it doesn't, Oh, it, it's very comedic. comedic through and through, but it's still it doesn't. There's it doesn't pass the fine line. Yeah, yeah. It's it strikes a good balance, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Though the one part that I feel like kind of weighs it on more of the comedic side that I think kind of passes that line 
is the music. Both the score and the musical numbers in the film? Mm. Yeah, I'll I say said the, that with a question the, mark. <laughs> so the, um, the, the random um, musical inserts at certain points, like to introduce some of the villains and all that, I thought that was... I thought that was very odd. <laughs> yeah, I did too. No, I, like, it just, it was weird. It was really weird, and I, I couldn't tell, because even Cutie Honey sings, like, twice. Yeah. I mean, I thought the karaoke bit was funny. I thought that was a fun, kind of inconsequential, but a fun character moment to have our main trio doing the karaoke. Oh, I have a whole thing about that section, but I'm not going to get oh. into that just yet. And even, like, just the regular score I thought was just kind of there. Like, I didn't think it did a whole lot. Yeah, I don't know. The, the regular score outside of, like, the musical number and the um, numbers and then the opening didn't really stand out to me all that much. So mm-hmm. I don't really have much comments on it. Now, we've been comparing it a lot to Devilman. I, I had to take note, this is another Go Nagai film where we have a feathered female appear in the film because during the first musical number, it's a feathered ah. female. I was like, I feel like I've seen this before already. I mean, yeah, you're the type of person who's like, if something's remotely similar, I'm like, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. I've uh, already seen this. This this is terrible. Trash. Four <laughs> out of five. I'm not that bad. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, totally. I'm not. Mm. In fact, I love the evil lair that this musical number is in. Like, the lair looks so cool. I love the water. I love the lighting. It it looks so cool. It it feels very Ishinomori. Like, mm. I could see, like, Dr. Gill from Kikaida sitting in his evil lair with the red light blaring on his face and the blue black backlighting. Like... It felt very, like, Kikaida, Evil Lair, dark to me. Mm. I I love the introduction to our villains as well. Like, the whole, like, it feels very, it felt very like Kikaida. Because at the beginning of Kikaida, they, like, they they list off every single villain that Kikaida's going to fight. Like, uh, the terrible rhinoceros and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. So the fact they had like the cobalt, uh, fang or was it right? No, it's yeah, cobalt claw, um, cobalt claw, scarlet claw, gold claw, and black claw. Which I I love that it just it felt like seventies Toku to me. Like I love the fact that they introduced themselves and they're like, oh yeah. All this stuff, and it was like, this is so ridiculous, but I love that. Like, it you can have ridiculous and it can be good, and in this case, I think it is good because it's it's a lot like your your mm-hmm. ridiculous classic tokusatsu. Mm-hmm. Which I mean I mean the thing is as well is that even though you know this film has that satirical comedic aspect to it, it doesn't feel like it's making fun. No. Of either anime or tokusatsu. It feels very genuine in its approach. 
Yes, which a lot of modern day tokusatsu I think has failed to understand, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a good change. A of lot pace. of parodies fail to understand mm-hmm. that sort of aspect because they feel like you have to go to they feel like you have to go straight up comedy and not have these mm-hmm. moments that are just like homages, and that's what Ano I think does a really well job with is homaging properly. Creating these yeah. homages that are a little ridiculous, but they're just true to the original. Mm-hmm. I mean, like him or not, you, his his visual style is is in and of itself a massive homage to the genre as well. Right, just mm-hmm. with his Ak- Akio Jisoji type filming. Right, absolutely. But after the introduction to the villains we do get kind of a weird sequence so and i I, i'm curious your thoughts on it because i feel like it's more in your ballpark so we have the police detective following cutie and she follows her eventually to her job so yeah uh, the detective and cutie are off on their own journey and then the Police detective tries to follow, and the uh, uh, cutie and the other detective are smart enough to like confuse them. But the police detective is still following cutie, and they end up at cutie's job, and she's trying to get answers from cutie. Mm-hmm. And it gets into a, a, a place where they're in a bathroom lo- stall together. Well, this is why I think there there becomes I like I feel like there's supposed to be a little bit a little bit of a romantic oh. thing going on. Yeah, yeah, I definitely picked up on that. I mean, the whole visual style too. Mm-hmm. It's very, very flamboyant. Yes, the visual style. So I I definitely picked up on that. Um, I believe this is an adaptation of R. E. Cutie Honey. Hmm. Uh, which I don't know a lot about the that anime, and in that the adaptation created the the the, the police detective. She is in fact in love with Cutie. Mm-hmm. So con- in contrast to all the other adaptations, which they've been best friends or like it's been alluded to, but not like outright confirmed. And in that anime, uh, R.E. Cutie Honey, it is straight up like, yes, she is a lesbian and she likes Cutie Honey. Mm. So you can kind of see that in here. Okay. Um, Because I definitely picked it. I I definitely picked it up here. Like the visual style as well just makes me like. Yeah, no way that wasn't at least a li- a little bit <laughs> intentional. Yeah. But then we get one of the weirdest moments in the movie after that. Because they're in the bathroom stall, the, uh, the detective calls and he's like, they're coming after you. They're there. They're there right now. <laughs> and then we get Sadako? What is it? Is it the the the, the lady? Yeah, <laughs> the crawling lady. Like it's so weird. It's mainly the effects. Like 
it's it's one of the ladies that works in the building. She gets uh, possessed. Oh, or, oh, yep, yep. If, if, are you talking about like when she's crawling on the ceiling and all yes. that? Yes. Okay, yep. So I thought you were talking about when she untransforms back to like no, the no, 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 no. This is okay. like Sedeco, like wall yep, yep, version, yep. ceiling. So Rex, as the in-house ring expert. Why don't you explain your opinions on this this sequence? Because this, when I saw this um, upon my rewatch, I immediately was like, Rex is going to have something to say about this. Honestly? I don't have very much to say. <laughs> I don't know what you were Really? <laughs> I don't know what you were expecting of me. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a goofy looking effect. <laughs> I, I didn't have much going through my mind at this point outside of a little bit of, a little bit of giggling at, at just the comedy of it. Okay. Well, that's a little disappointing. I don't, I don't know what you were expecting, honestly. I mean, I was expecting like you to like, I don't know, like had like, say how on like, I, I feel like in this sequence, Anno does pull some J horror, uh, I mean, inspiration I, into I how it's shot. I wouldn't disagree with you. I, I do like the moment in the in the when they're in the toilet stall and like she just she crawls like, by crawls across. Yeah, I thought that was a nice moment, <laughs> but I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really have too much else going through my mind. Mm-hmm. I, I I just don't know what you're expecting. Okay. Well, after that, we get the reveal that it's actually just that lady is dead and her skin was taken by Cobalt, uh, Cobalt, Cobalt Claw, Cobalt, Cobalt Claw, Cobalt, oh, Cobalt Claw. Yes, Cobalt Words is a are hard. I'm it's aware. literally English. Which, she's like Catwoman? I'm just gonna, like, Catwoman? I mean... Judy Honey herself basically dressed up as Catwoman in an earlier scene, so. This is true. This is very true. So they fight in the elevator, which it's kind of cool, like the lighting and all that. And, and it's it's interesting how Cobalt basically tries to blackmail the police detective into telling her who Cutie Honey is. And then Cutie like outs herself and then uses her anger of her father's death. And this is where we get kind of the reveal of, so because of her father's death, she fights for love. Mm -hmm. And what cutie does is she activates like her superpower, I guess. Like this is where I feel like the film does start to like leave out details and, and just kind of linger. Because this is whenever they go really character heavy, and I'm going to be honest, Anno has never done a good job at character development. It's either he does decent, and then he just drops it at the end, or he never even starts it, and by the end you don't care. At least in my opinion. You see, I would... I would heavily disagree with you when talking about that on, like, say... Evangelion, but you just have a lot of wrong opinions about Evangelion, so honestly. I, I, <laughs> like, here I'd agree. I think I think this movie has some 
good it seemed with its characters. I just yes, I just didn't find myself particularly invested with them. Yes, I mean, frankly, I thought Judy Honey herself was kind of annoying at times. Yeah, and at points, I I kind of vibe with with the police detective because I'm like. I don't like how happy you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can only be so cheerful until I'm like, okay, you're done. Like, stop mm-hmm. talking. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand of the source material, uh, Cutie Honey herself is, in the manga, a lot smarter and a lot more witty than this film makes her, makes her out to be. Okay. Um, so... Uh, as as much as I do typically like Arma's writing, I, I gotta I, I gotta throw in the towel here and say, yeah, not a big fan of all his writing in this film. <laughs> so in this sequence, you know, we, we learn all that. And it gets kinda awkward. And and this goes to Anu's writing again with how awkward it gets in this elevator. <laughs> it quite literally gets very steamy and, and like honestly while watching it I'm like mm, I don't like where this is going like this mm, I don't like how I don't like how Cobalt uh, Cobalt 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 God I can't say it I can't say it I am too tired Cobalt Claw likes the fiery anger that cutie is like letting out from her body it's quite literally burning cobalt to death mm-hmm. but she likes it and it's a little weird it's a little weird it's a little sexual not a little it's actually a lot um okay homophobe I'm I'm just saying, like it just it, I'm I'm sitting there and I, I'm like, okay, we're going here. The the film has a lot of interesting LGBT stuff. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not. I'm absolutely Are you sure? not. Are you yes. sure? Are you yes. sure? It sounds like I'm, you're going in another direction there. No, no, it absolutely doesn't. And I think the the most interesting thing is that this film was made in 04, 2004. So that's before I think it became really relevant uh, to, to pop culture. But I also know in Japan, it's a little less. I feel accepted. like it's, it's a little less accepted, but I think it's also a little more like it appears more often in your anime mm, i mean mm, it, it's hard to say in anime because i don't think either you or i are familiar enough right medium to really say so for right certain, but i i've definitely seen it appear in like other japanese media around this time like mm-hmm. love exposure has for example, which came out in 2009, that film has a lot of like questioning, like c- certain characters question their sexuality and 
a very like one of the characters believes she's a lesbian for most of the movie and then the main character himself cross dresses in a couple mm-hmm. sequences but at the same time it's like the film um sort of like raises the question well it is is this perverted is or is this just people being honest with themselves mm-hmm. i don't know that that's a whole whole nother discussion in and of itself right Right. I just one thing I've noticed is in Japanese culture, a lot of the uh, homosexual tendencies appear mostly with women and women. I, I feel like I, I mean, it's I mean, I mean, common modern common writer has something to say to that. <laughs> I mean, this is true. Like, and, and I was about to say that's not to say uh, men and men aren't aren't shown in, in pop culture. I just <laughs> from my like. From my experiences um, at my old job, I had uh, friends and coworkers who watched anime, and a lot of them watched the anime with women, with women. Um, so at least to in in my experience, I've I've witnessed a lot of women on women. So it's not as jarring to see it in Cutie Honey. I just think it's interesting that it is there because. In Tokusatsu, from what I've seen, you don't see that a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of Tokusatsu is also very kid oriented, and there's a lot, and there was a lot of this idea in the past, at least in the West, of like keeping that away from the kids because of it being like this evil disease, as a lot right. of people used to think of it as. Right. Whereas now times are changing, so you see it more prevalent. Mm-hmm. in all sorts of media and, and i almost know, I, w- I wouldn't say this is exactly a kid's film so no it's definitely I not i don't think it's unsurprising to see it and arno's filmography itself like particularly evangelion does i would say that explores sexuality as well i mean ava has a very heavily implied as netflix would say um gay romance yeah. between shinji and kaoru that's right. That's right. It, it, you know, it's just it's it's an interesting aspect. Think of that, <laughs> right? Yeah, it took us a long time to get to that point, but it's just it's, and you know, I think part of it too is I don't know if Tokusatsu especially likes to dwell on the love stories. Um, mm. Sometimes, yes, it depends. It, it really it, depends mm-hmm. on the show. And the audience it's aiming for. But one thing I like in Kakaida, there is a romance plot. But the interesting thing about the romance plot is Jiro, Kakaida, is not human. He's an android. Yeah. And the girl is in love with him, but Jiro can't feel feelings, or can he? We don't know. I but think Metalda also, which is one of the Metal Hero shows, I think that has a very similar. Um, sort of. I mean, it would make sense because Metal Dar, uh, Metalder. Yeah, doesn't he, is, he looks pretty similar? It, it's it's Kik- literally Kikaida. Just yeah, it's literally Kikaida. It's just he's a metal hero now. <laughs> I mean, Kikaida himself was already made of metal. Yeah. So I mean, I I mistook an uh, Matilda for Kikaida whenever I saw him on the cover of VR Troopers. I was like, oh, that's Kikaida. <laughs> and then I found out, no, they just basically took the design and made 
a new character. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, I think Tokusatsu is is a good medium to explore like these different concepts. I mean, look at uh, Terror of Mechagodzilla. That one has a cyborg and mm-hmm. a human, and and it's that forbidden romance. I think Tokusatsu does cover that forbidden romance quite well, like the idea of this unheard of love that is there, but can it really happen? Mm. So mm. you know, I I think Tokusatsu is just a it's it's a medium where. I think there's a ton of different potential story ideas you could go with. And I, and cutie honey explores a very interesting anime inspired by Tokusatsu have sort of done similar things. Like there's this one series, I don't know what it's called, but it's this very Tokusatsu inspired. It's a very Sentai inspired series Mm -hmm. where it's like a love story between like, like the leader ranger, the red ranger and like the evil villain it's it's a forbidden hmm. love okay and i from what i've heard it's a really it, it's a genuinely interesting um like drama but mm-hmm. I, admittedly i don't know much about it past that I, I don't even remember what it's called gotcha okay someone please let us know <laughs> please do so with that being said after the the fight with Cobalt, hmm. Cutie passes out. Yeah. And, okay, is her name Natalie or... Uh, which one? The the, the police detective. It's, uh, it starts it's, it's with... Like Nat- Nataya? Nat- Nataya? Natilla? Natsuko Aki is what I have Natsuko? written down. Yeah. Natsuko? Okay, yeah. I'm just going to start saying Natsuko. And then, the, and the, then inv- the journalist is Seiji. Seiji, Natsuko, and Cutie. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try and do a better job at at saying which investigator I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, because I, I noticed earlier you were being like detective and detective and detective and detective. Yeah, I was like, okay, sheriff detective, detective. <laughs> yeah. So Natsuke, not Natsuke? Right? Ah, Natsuko. Natsuko? So Natsuko takes Cutie back to her apartment. Yeah. Which we get more of that romance between her and Cutie. Mm-hmm. But we also get the full backstory of Cutie with more yeah. anime. Yeah. But I couldn't help but notice something. So I just watched a few weeks ago 009-1, The End of the Beginning which is a live-action adaptation of the Shotaru Ishinomori anime, uh, manga 009-1, which is about a girl who dies and becomes a cyborg robot thing. And I feel like Cutie Honey is basically 009 in this. She dies, the father turns her into kind of the cyborg, half-human, half-robot thing, and the only difference is like, 009 is an assassin, whereas mm-hmm. Cutie Honey is like this warrior of love. Isn't that her subtitle, the warrior of love or something? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so I, I, t- I put my uh, in my notes the backstory Go Nagai's 009-1 question mark. 
Hmm. I, I'm I'm trying to think back to Double Nine because like from my experience with Double Nine, it's purely like the Devilman crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, and in so so wait, is the this female character in the Double Nine movie is she like the main character? Yes. Is she the only one of them? Are there like She's the ninth one. There, it's like a line of assassins. She's the ninth one. Okay, because because to my understanding, in the actual Double O Nine, it's she's not like the main protagonist. She's just one of them. Okay. Um, because like the main lead was a male, and I think it was zero one or whatever zero zero one. Okay. Yeah, sounds about right. I think I think I think zero zero nine is like the secondary one, maybe. Okay. I, I yeah, could be remembering that completely. I just <laughs> from from my from my experience with what I've watched of Zero Zero Nine, which is just the live action film and Cutie Honey, I just I couldn't help but notice the similarities. Mm. Cutie Honey being more positive while 009 being more negative. I think that would make sense, though, because 009 was closer to the end of World War II, whereas Cutie Honey was in the 70s when you saw like this this new wave of like children's or just brighter entertainment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Cutie Honey also has that has this. I mean, it contrasts very drastically from Gona Guy's I want to say previous work being Devilman. I was uh, gonna say Devilman is very depressing. Like that that's a great contrast to Cutie Honey's mm-hmm. is Devilman. Mm-hmm. But even like the like the relationship between like Natsuko and um like the actual characterization of Natsuko and um uh Cutie Honey herself, they uh there's very much a contrast between their personalities. Yes, and it's even in how they look because Natsuko is very, you know, she wear she has black hair, she wears black, she's always got her arms crossed, mm-hmm. she's to herself. Whereas Cutie Honey is always bright, talking. Her she's always moving. Her hands are always like either by her side or like flying up somewhere. Yeah, there's bright lights with her it, it's 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 a it's a lot like uh you know in devil man you had satan which was bright and you had devil man which is dark um mm-hmm. you kind of had that here as well except it's not your villain and your hero it's just two two characters with mm. a slight romance there yeah yeah and this is this sequence is the beginning of where the film basically becomes boring to me. At this moment, like it, it's all the, your three main characters. Yeah, yeah. For me, there just isn't enough happening for me to really stay all that interested. I, I think part of the issue too is just how as over the top as it is, the opening 15 minutes is just very exciting. It's mm-hmm. very, it's very fast. You're really into it. And then the movie just 
I, I don't think it it just it doesn't match that. No. It's like you run first and then you walk and you feel horrible while walking and you, you absolutely don't like for me, I just don't, I don't feel invested. I don't have enough investment in any of these characters aside from the fact that they are outlandish and ridiculous. And that's not enough for me to care enough about 30 minutes of just. Yeah, the the only one who I can really say I'm completely fine with putting up with as many scenes as possible is Jun Murakami, and I don't know if that's just because I think he's funny or if I just like the outfit. (laughs) Right, but I I think with him, there's also, like, they they try to create this subplot of who he is. The only issue is they don't explore that. They kind of leave it as a mystery, but I think that brain makes it so anytime he appears on screen, you're trying to figure out who and what he is. Mm-hmm. What's he playing at? Yeah. Because you know he's doing something. Mm-hmm. And I think they do a – Anno does a great job at setting up the fact that he is your mystery character. Mm-hmm. You want to trust him, but you also can't. Yeah. Hmm. But he avoids, but he also avoids making him unlikable as well. Correct, which is a great thing to do. I, that that is on his best feet in this film. Mm. But eventually, they all meet at Cutie's place, or no? They they meet at no, it uh, was, it's um, Seiji's place. Seiji's place. They meet at yeah. Seiji's place and get drunk. But even before that, Seiji makes some moves on. Natsuko. Oh my, Natsuko. Mm-hmm. And Natsuko wants Seiji. And then we get hints on later on that Seiji likes Natsuko. Mm-hmm. And it creates an interesting love triangle that doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, he flirts with both her and even Honey at certain points. Yes. And... I don't understand what they're going for here. I think that is the worst. That's the worst written part of this film is this love triangle that doesn't make sense. Mm. I don't know. I definitely picked up on it more with Natsuko. I just, I I felt his flirtation with Hani. I found that more playful. Yes. Um, But to ignore romantic per se but but to ignore uh Natsuko not Natsuko Natsuko and Cutie like there's obviously something going on oh no doubt there's as as you and I both have stated no way there isn't no way that wasn't intentional you know but Seiji and Natsuko clearly have something going on because Natsuko gets angry whenever cutie walks in on them Mm -hmm. so then it's like okay maybe she's bi i mean it could also it could also just be like um arno using the sundere trope too are are you familiar with that trope i probably am but i don't know if listeners are so so basically, a sundere is like a type of character who is like typically in an anime. They they like someone 
but they act very abrasively towards them. So, like, Oscar mm-hmm. from Evangelion is, like, the stereotypical example of a tsundere, particularly in Arno's work. So I, I sort of picked up on it being... I, I felt the intention was it was kind of like that. Okay. Particularly in that sequence where they're all meeting at uh, Seiji's house. Mm-hmm. Now... I do think it's also interesting. I feel like they establish at Seiji's house that Seiji views honey as almost like a objective because of all the photos he's taken. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> it, like, like honestly, she feels more like of an of an objective to him than like somebody he's into. Yeah, and I think that's. Maybe why Anu included at the very end of Cutie, Cutie looking through his room, like he has two photos of Natsuko, Natsuko on his desk. Hmm. Hmm. So I maybe I, I honestly I don't I don't like the whole sequence. I don't like that whole Seiji's house sequence because it honestly feels pointless. Because I'll then agree, Nats- I'll agree with that. I- I think I think it has some fun character interactions, but I'll I'll agree if honestly if it meant trading in for a shorter runtime, I would have been fine with cutting it. Personally. Mm-hmm. And even then, the film is already like only Pretty an hour cool. and thirty minutes. But yeah. you could cut fifteen more minutes out, and it would be honestly fine. Mm. I mean, be- there's a reason we haven't talked about like Honey um, at her at her work too much, and the various sequences in there. And it's just because it's filler. Like it doesn't add, the only thing it adds is cuties kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. You see, I, I feel in those sequences, I sort of with like the discrimination against honey via some of the older workers there. I, I sort of picked up on this, like almost like a precursor to Shin Godzilla. So I, some of Shin Godzilla's ideas with like, the with like how like the younger generation is sort of looked down upon in these sort of positions which which is very much a part of japanese culture because of the whole respecting your elders right because there's there's that whole part where she's like the manager gets it, then the assistant manager then the assistant to the manager then the assistant to the assistant manager then you go by uh seniority and then Age, yeah, and then I, I, like marital I, I, status. <laughs> yeah, I picked up on it, but it, but what I picked up on the film, it, it introduces the idea, but it never really does anything with it. And that was my issue with it. It was like, I like the idea here. It's it's very Shin Godzilla esque, um, but there's ultimately not much done here with mm-hmm. it so why why dedicate so much screen time to it right yeah it just that that's a great thing to point out is how almost pointless i feel like those scenes are besides being eventually a plot macguffin to have cutie and natsuko get chased by a sadako wannabe <laughs> um and then like a laugh at the end of the movie yeah 
Like, that's all that really feels like it's there for. And then, like, the whole, the whole, like, the sequences we've been talking about, it just, they get drunk. They sing. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of major character. And this is something I also forgot to point out. Uh, Sa- What's his name? Seiji. Seiji is our exposition dumper. Oh, yeah. He's the, he's what won't shut up. And while that's supposed to be his character, sometimes I do get annoyed at that. It's like, dude, stop narrating. Stop trying to explain this. Like, it doesn't matter. Honestly, I, I just I just thought it was funny when he was on the Segway, so I didn't mind. Or like, he, like, the moment that, like, I was like, what is going on with him in this whole narration thing was the... Uh, Natsuko was who Cutie trusted with first for her backstory or whatever. That sequence when she explained how she became Cutie Honey. Like, I was like, why are you narrating this? And how do you know what's going on? He's he's a journalist, so he's got all the sources of the information that the plot needs him to have. Yes. He's literally the plot MacGuffin, the character. <laughs> So, yeah, it just, I don't know. And then, like, after Natsuko gets angry and leaves, I feel like the film just kind of jumps. Honestly, I feel like after Natsuko leaves, she changes outfits, and then, like, within two minutes, it feels like they just rush the conclusion in. Yeah. And they kill off one of the villains just because he failed once before. And like, it's like, okay, so why even have him? Like, what's the point of having him return? Oh, what the, the gold cross? She, yeah. Yeah. yeah why I have she- odd, like, why not kill gold claw earlier? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or have gold claw just die when, when it felt like gold claw was supposed to die. Like, I, I don't see why they couldn't have had that happen. Like during like, like, during the original roll call scene with the four of them. Mm-hmm. Like I agree. Sister Jill, uh, just be like, you failed. All right. Then die. No longer needs you. Yeah, exactly. Like, why not do that? I feel like that's a way better idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just makes more sense <laughs> structure wise mm-hmm. <laughs> to have that happen earlier. Rather than yeah. just happen like right before the final act, so spontaneously. Yeah. <laughs> so I need your opinion because we, we we jump really. So after after you know we jump into the resolution, which is Tokyo Tower has been taken over by Sister Jill. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which those are miniatures, by the way. Yeah, actual tokusatsu like kaiju building miniatures. Love <laughs> that. <laughs> we get a Ultraman reference again. What with, um, it- Itsugi being like yes. the giant Fuji? Yeah, yes. that's what I thought too. <laughs> I, I wrote that. I was like, I feel like this because they kind of act the same. And I was like, yeah, they're, they're basically mindless. Yeah. Uh, 
So I, I just I felt like I was like, hmm, after watching Shin Ultra Man, I definitely feel like this had to be a reference to that. Hmm. Mm. But that ended up being pointless as well. Like I, I just I don't know. I yeah. feel like there's a lot of pointless they, stuff. When did they get the uncle again? <laughs> I don't know. I, I felt like I make... missed something. Yes. Like, it, it no, jumps... like I thought for a second. I thought, oh, they caught him when the gold claw was getting away. But no, she cutie honey used the the, the, the boomerang mm-hmm. to free him. So how? Yeah, how did it they just... have him again. <laughs> like the whole ending feels just kind of thrown in like mm. we're here now there's yeah. no explanation we're just here now and that just goes contributes back to my my overall opinion Ano doesn't know how to do endings you see i think you're wrong because of evangelion and i think i'm right as evangelion is awful it was so bad he had to redo the ending, and then it got even weirder. A, you're wrong. B, 3.0 plus 1.0. Okay, that took him, what, 30 years? 20 years? Okay. It took it's him still... 20 years to write an ending. <laughs> okay, it's doing better than Guyver. <laughs> 20 years for an ending do you not hear how horrible that sounds for something he created it took him 20 years to come up with a proper ending well you know what they say these things happen and it took him like five attempts a manga a series a he movie did not write that a manga. okay fine because that was a series uh, a series, a movie that rewrote the series, different endings of compilation films, and then multiple. <laughs> wasn't the there like the compilation films led into Deva? Like one of them okay. shows, one of them actually is has the first thirty minutes of Endeavor. At it as it. I'll be ending. honest. I just skipped the compilation films because yeah, it I seemed pointless to me. I don't blame you. So, okay, so (laughs) my point is still there. A series, a movie that rewrote the series, and then four movies to build up to a conclusion. And that conclusion was spectacular. And the movies rewrote the the series. They were sequels. They are sequels. What? They are sequels. How can they be sequels if the ending of the show basically said everybody died? You haven't seen 3.0 plus 1.0 and you have not read the manga. Oh, so so, th- so I have to read a manga that wasn't no, even no, written by no, the original no, creator? You didn't read the manga. You just said you haven't read the manga. Yeah, because it's very similar to something that happens in the manga. So I have to – okay, here's the thing. So I'm going to guess the 3.0 plus 1.0 re-retcons like half of everything. In what Your way? Lack, in what way? In, in the you... ending. In the ending. Anno has to rewrite things to get a proper ending. He didn't so, know how to end Shin Godzilla, so, so he just ended it at the climax. So I, he didn't – 
you you don't care about spoilers for three point plus one point do you? I mean, maybe one day I'll watch the rebuild films. <sighs> That's and I'm I'm not even making that up. Like maybe one day I will. It's definitely something that I have not thrown out of my like potential. You should do it. <laughs> yeah, well, the last time I tried to do it, I lost a friend group. <laughs> um. Well. Bad timing. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, Shinji Akari and I have more than just being males in common. <laughs> um, but yeah, the f- 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 the rebuilds are sequels in an interesting way. There, there was a in a roundabout retcon way. Not it doesn't really retcon. But it's either End of Eva's no longer canon or the series is no longer canon. Actually, the with the way that... Don't um, you dare say both are still canon because that cannot happen. With the way that 3.0 plus 1.0 oh my God. technically speaking, the original ending, the End of Eva ending, and then the manga ending can all happen. Lovely alternate universes. Oh, I can't say that. (laughs) You're getting me angry. Talking about Evangelion gets me angry. Well, watch Ava 3.0 plus 1.0. Not until I watch the other three rebuild films, Rex. Whenever I can finally master up the confidence to rewatch it again and find somebody to watch it with. Just. Just do it, man. But anyways, cutie honey. My point, my point in all of this is Anno doesn't know how to write endings, and cutie honey does not get an exception. Also, I don't know what you're talking about, about Shin Godzilla's ending. I think that film has a fine I ending. I can't stand the ending. It what like was Godzilla's ending. It's right like the climax happens and then it's just done. There's no true conclusion. They even say, oh, Godzilla's coming back. Like, what's the point? You delayed it. You don't even finish the story. You literally say, we've just delayed it. Okay. I I don't like that. That's a horrible way to end a film. You don't complete your story. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. I don't know what to say. And then if you want to hear my problems with Shin Ultraman, you can listen to the Shin Ultraman episode. <laughs> like <laughs> I <laughs> I've I I made you speechless. I win. Anu is no. an awful st- no. Yes. No, just because I'm speechless doesn't doesn't you cannot fight me. Anno doesn't know how to complete well, a story. there's no point in fighting you because you're just wrong. No, you're wrong. There is nothing you've said to prove yourself right in this situation. You are the one that cannot prove this. Shin Godzilla does not have a complete story, nor does it have interesting characters. They literally stopped Godzilla. Temporarily. Okay. And the United States is still planning on bombing them. 
Okay. Nothing in the story is resolved. It's just put on a freeze. Man, you're and just... you want to know something? We will never see a sequel to Shin Godzilla, so you can just wait and forget nothing. I don't know, man. I thought the Shin Godzilla ending was pretty satisfying that for what it was. It, you know, the whole point is to get the younger generation to oh my fix God. this problem. And they did. They fixed the problem. Now, no, is they did it a not. permanent solution? No. Are these things ever a permanent solution in real life? Then is it truly Typically, fixing yeah. the problem or is it just pushing it off onto another generation? They found a solution. Temporarily. It. It, then it's not a, a full solution. It's a temporarily fixed to a permanent problem. Mm-hmm. Which gives them time to create a permanent solution. Then why can't we get a permanent solution? Where is that at? I don't know. <laughs> because Anno can't write permanent Ugh. solutions. And to get back into what we were talking about. So, Cutie Honey ends with this huge tower taking over where Tokyo Tower sat. And then the then uh, Panther Claw saying, hey, Cutie. Come rescue your uncle, or else he's dead, essentially, right? And then they just build this magical platform for her to walk on. And then the last two remaining, like, colored claws fight her? I'm going to be honest. The the last two, the, the, the Scarlet Claw fight was boring and lame. Yeah, I was already checked out by this point, so... <laughs> now, I will say the Black Claw, even though he... I just want to call him Ace Freely from Kiss. I like <laughs> him. I, I Honestly, I, I'm watching I'm like, this is just a dude from Kiss. Like, he's got a microphone. He's kind of got a guitar. He's got the Kiss outfit. He's got a musical number. He does. He sings about beating Cutie before... Losing the cutie. And I'm like, this. I, I love the, the Black uh, Claw. I think Black Claw is the best out of all of the characters, uh, out of all the villains. Uh, I, think he, I think he stands out a lot more than uh, Cobalt Claw and um, Scarlet Gold. Claw. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I think Gold Claw was pretty good, but to be fair, it kind of helps when she's the introductory villain too. Yes. And then, yeah, I just, I loved how Black Claw, like, even, like, made clouds and, like, darkened everything. And that whole sequence I thought was really good. Like, you had the the gold and the black and the pink, and it was all blending really well. Yeah. I thought that fight was decent, and I loved how they had minions playing music in the background. Yeah, Yeah, the classical music. (laughs) But that felt very 70s. Mm-hmm. Like the whole that whole thing was very seventies to me, and then, mm. but like as soon as that fight ended, it got boring again. Yeah, at least we got a Go Nagai cameo during the fight. This is true. We did get a Go Nagai cameo, and this time he looked happy. I mean, I think uh, there's a reason for that. Yeah, 
Yeah, there is. But we gets, you know. he gets to see Japan's top swimsuit model on his car. <laughs> Was she? Uh according to like a DVD color, yes, apparently. Interesting, okay. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, no, I didn't care too much for the ending all that much. I don't know. It it does its job, I just didn't find it all that interesting. Yeah, and okay, this is where I also get confusing. So after that fight, Cutie's supposed to kind of be down and out, right? That's that's yeah. my understanding. How is she able to climb up the rest of the tower and still fight the butler? And then, like, I was like, what, what's her power gauge? Like, it just felt like she just had plot convenience. Um, I'm just going to say anime protagonist. <laughs> it's plot convenience. Like, if she's really going to die or, like, be down and out, like, make it more, like... Give, raise the stakes. Like, make it feel like there's stakes there. I mean, I didn't find this. I didn't find this final villain all that interesting, either. This sister Jill character. Yeah, the musical number was certainly an introduction, but outside of that, very lifeless, personalityless. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I thought was cool was the fact that like Jill, sister Jill, turned into a plant because she wanted to be the ultimate life form to like live forever. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting idea, mm-hmm. but like she didn't do a lot besides yeah. take over Tokyo Tower and like I don't know, it just it. She was supposed to be the Yang to Cutie's Yang, but there wasn't enough development of her as a villain. Like, yeah, I from what I've uh, read about online, apparently the in the source material, it's she's a lot more of a sadomasochistic type character rather than rather than one that's just looking to sort of. Um, What's the word? Oh, there's another... Rule the world? Yeah, rule the world. Sort of just... A basic a villain. villain? Yeah, it's a very basic... Yeah, basic villain is a good way to describe it, I'd say. There just yeah. isn't enough to it, to her, to be interesting. And, like, without the comedic element of the other villains, she just doesn't stand out mm-hmm. at all. She so in like Hikaida or Kikaida, Dr. Gill is kind of like the least interesting of the villains mm-hmm. because all he does is sit there and bark orders. Mm-hmm. Hikaider ends up being the coolest villain because he is the opposite to Kikaider. Yeah. In this Sister Jill just kind of sits there and barks orders. So, like, when we get to Sister Jill, it just doesn't feel interesting. It doesn't feel... I mean, the thing is, though, with a lot of those villains, because you get a lot of similar villains in that, like, in Tokusatsu, like Kamen Rider, for example, has the great leader of Shocker. Now, to be fair, 
I haven't finished the show, but I do know, you know, at the end of the show and in some later Kamen Rider movies, you know, they do actually fight him. But for where I'm at, he's not a particularly interesting villain. Whereas some of the other commanders of Shocker, like Colonel Zoll and uh, Hideo Amamoto's Dr. Shinigami, mm-hmm. they're a lot more fun, a lot more fun villains for the right. series. There's just, but there's the, more. The, but the Go thing ahead. that I think makes um, the great leader of Shocker stand out is his voice performance. Whereas here, there just isn't anything memorable to the performance of our mm-hmm. final antagonist in this film. The butler is more memorable. I, I was about to say the butler is more <laughs> memorable in just how he looks and like how he talks. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the butler even has a better conclusion than any of the other villains because the butler kind of – the butler changes sides. Mm-hmm. Or at least we, we get to see that you know the butler do- knows what love is. Yeah. Which is in contrast to the rest of the, the, the villains, the idea of the villains not having love. Because, you know, they're past that, or at least the main villain. Whereas Cutie loves everybody. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I, at, at this point, another issue is just I wasn't invested enough as well in this to really... I, I At this point, I kind of just wanted it to be over, unfortunately, which... The only thing that I was going for at this point is the fact I love that set. The set they were in <laughs> was my favorite part. And the gun plot convenience where she was like, honey, turn. And uh, the police officer, she shot and hit honey's henshin device. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Eh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really take issue with that. I just. I don't like the stuff like that. I just. It's boring. It's happened so much that I'm like, oh, plot convenience. Oh, there we go again. So it's for me. It's just I don't. I don't like it when it's like the one hundred billionth of a chance. Like out of one million five hundred seventy-six thousand timelines, this is the one where they win. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't – I'm not a fan of that idea per se. Hmm. I don't know. It, it, it entirely depends on the film itself. Um, maybe if they cut part. some time, maybe it would be more interesting. Mm, maybe. I don't know. It, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean at this point, like the film, the film definitely is – it, it it by 15 to 30 minutes i'd say the film overstays its welcome i i i definitely agree with that i, I yeah i i wanted to like this film a lot more than i did and yeah and you know part of that could just simply be the fact that they bit off more than they could could chew for a movie because i definitely think there's a lot of development that could have been made that could have went into a more interesting character development. 
which Ooh. would lead us into the conclusion where Cutie, uh, say our characters' names again. Cutie, um, Natsuko, and Seiji. When they all become their own, like, the detective, like, group, department, whatever you want to call them, team. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that happens. I was just like... That would be a more okay. interesting, like... <laughs> like, it just kind of feels like it wraps up. Yeah. And then and then it's like, the oh, they're going to forget about Cutie. And then they turn around like, no, Cutie, come over here. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's how we went with the ending. Hmm. Okay. Well at, least, well, at least she finally made friends. Yeah, and like there was that whole subplot that didn't really start besides one line from the maid, mm-hmm. the maintenance individual from where she worked. It just, it just, the film is an uncooked potato. <laughs> That's a funny description. So is Devil Man. The only difference is Devil Man has a lot more uh, themes and messages behind it, I think. Devilman is like taking a beautiful, a glorious beef pie and a beef pie. Yes, I'm very Australian if you didn't know. (laughs) 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 Taking a glorious beef pie, putting it in the oven for two minutes, taking it out, throwing it onto the floor. (laughs) stomping on it and then pouring a bunch of cockroaches on it. That is devil man. I see. Yes. Now what is, what is cutie honey? Well, it's, it's, it's like you described. It's an uncooked potato. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think cutie honey is better than devil man. In just execution. Really now. <laughs> um that being said, I think Cutie Honey suffers from from what most anime adaptations suffer from, which is just not having enough time to mm-hmm. develop the characters. And with what time it does have, it doesn't set it up enough. And it yeah. doesn't explore it enough. Yeah. I feel similarly to Devil Man. It I could see this maybe working in a TV format a little better. I mean, unlike Devil Man, there is a cutie yeah, honey the live. I was going to mention it. <laughs> but I mean from what I understand that story that's a bit of a different story with some more with like some more like honey characters. <laughs> I, I don't know what to call them. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Uh, and the whole plot of her having multiple personalities or, like, disguises kind of fell through after, like... That was kind of just there. Yeah, it's apparently one of her, like, powers in the anime. But, Mm -hmm. like, it just never... Like, the fact we never mentioned it just... It Mm -hmm. didn't feel important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, now that we've covered... This for about an hour and 50 or so. I think we should start wrapping up or. I, you know, I think we should go ahead and just kind of, um, there was one last thing I wanted to bring up mm-hmm. and I mean, it's, it's not entirely about the movie itself, but kind of the period. Okay. Um, 
when when Cutie Honey came out in 04, it was kind of in the middle of what I've noticed to be a huge renaissance of anime adaptations. Um, you okay. had like Red Shadow, 009 ended up getting one, Cashern, uh, Devilman, uh, mm-hmm. Cutie Honey, and, and there was some more. And I find it interesting that around this time period, we were seeing live action adaptations of a lot of anime. We would even like in the mm-hmm. States, we had like Dragon Ball Evolution in this time, this time frame. Um, yeah. It kind Old of feels. Even. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. Great example. Great example. The killer. Mm hmm. The Sasori um, reboots. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it's just, it's an interesting time to look at, especially tokusatsu, when we were seeing a rise in anime adaptations that would end up, you know, uh, Takashi Yamazaki's Space Battleship Yamato or uh, Shinji Hmm. Higuchi doing the Attack on Titan duology or Yamazaki's Parasite duology. Um it kind of birthed almost, I would say, a subgenre of tokusatsu that's just simply anime ad- uh, manga anime adaptations, mm-hmm. and of which most have the same issues, not being long enough to develop that story. Mm. Attack on Titan had two movies, and depending on who you ask, it either did it a decent it was a decent adaptation or it was a failure of an adaptation. Mm-hmm. And, but this is an attack on Titan. So we're not going to talk about those movies, yeah. mm-hmm. but I, I think cutie honey is an interesting example because it was made by a director a who has now acclaimed become director. Yes. A highly acclaimed director, much like Shutsuke Kaneko's death note. And one who is in and of himself known for anime. Right. <laughs> And to see it not succeed is kind of surprising. I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say this film fails per se. No, it doesn't fail. It definitely doesn't fail. Devil Man is a failure. (laughs) Cutie Honey is, I would say, basic. I, I, I feel it's somewhere in the middle where I don't really – I don't dislike it, but I don't really like it all that much either. Right. Um, absolutely. But I do know there's a lot of people that absolutely adore this film. And there's and people that absolutely adore. hate it. Yeah, but I've seen – I see a lot more praise for this film than I, than I see, um, you know, people – Well, um, I feel like it's Anno's black sheep out of his filmography – Okay, people, when they talk about the Hideaki Anno's Cutie Honey, it's more of a joke. Sure. Sure. But but in the same in that same vein, a lot of people do like it for that aspect of it. Because it's so bizarre, it's so zany, it's so silly, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that's a and and the flamboyant nature as well. That's a lot mm-hmm. of reasons why people like this. And I, I can definitely see that appeal in it. It's just not for me, frankly. Mm-hmm. I don't dislike it, but not 
not a film I particularly want to rewatch <laughs> right. anytime soon. So, and, but one thing I think that Cutie Honey, I think, and and you and I both can can understand and see this point. And this is, I said, this is kind of my main theme, and I want to come back to it. Cutie Honey kind of set up what Anna would later go on to do. I feel like Cutie oh, Honey yeah. is like. Looking back at Anno's work, Cutie Honey is almost his, you know, Adam Wingard said for Godzilla vs. Kong that it was his, like, this is what, this is my entry into me doing a Star Wars film. It was like, I can do this. I can do Star Wars. In a way, I would say Cutie Honey was that for Hideaki Anno for Ultraman, Kamen Rider, and Godzilla. Maybe not oh. so much Godzilla, but definitely Ultraman and Kamen Rider. Oh, no doubt. I mean, even, like, I mentioned, like, some of the ideas that sort of carry over into Shin Godzilla, and, you know, obviously we mentioned, like, the the giant um, the giant guy from Garo appearing, and that being, possibly being an Ultraman reference and something that comes back in Shin Ultraman with mm -hmm. um, Asami. Um, but even some of the dialogue I noticed sounded... There, there was a line that's just straight up something Mephless says in Shin Ultraman. Mm -hmm. It's like one of his favorite. It, it's like the. <sighs> yeah, it's one of the it's one of the lines that he says as being one of his favorite sayings. I don't hmm. remember exactly which one. Like may, maybe that's just like a generic line in Japanese media, but I don't know. I just noticed it. I noticed the way it sounded. I noticed this similar translation in the subtitles and i'm like huh um were there any other examples that you picked up on or uh, i mean i was just gonna i was gonna kind of dive in not dive into it but like mention and bring up the common writer like from the the trailers we've seen of shin common writer like the the flips and the the cinematography mm -hmm. i think Cutie Honey kind of led the way in for Anno to to perfect and to use as as inspiration yeah. for what he would later go on to do. And the whole fact of like Cutie Honey was made to look a little cheap. Mm -hmm. And now we have Shin Kamen Rider, which is going for something similar. Yes. Uh, but also, I mean, Shin Kamen Rider as well. From that trailer, it looks like Shin Kamen Rider as well, maybe more focused on its characters than either Shin Godzilla or Shin Ultraman were. Right. Specifically Which... with its central relations between Takeshi Hongo, Kamen Rider 1, Hayato Ichimonji, Kamen Rider 2, and Ruriko Midorikawa. And here we have another trinity of people. I'm not saying they're going to be a love trinity, but there's there's your three... Mm -hmm. Main I mean, the last Common Rider, um, gritty Common Rider reboot of the original Common Rider, the first, had those three as the central characters and had a love triangle in it already. Hmm. Okay, and that was around so maybe the same time as this film. <laughs> so, so maybe it will be a love triangle. Maybe uh, I'm not saying it necessarily will be a love triangle, but I just find it interesting how that sort of already has happened. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. I just I I find if if anything or to say the least I think Cutie Honey is is a 
interesting film to like look back upon in retrospective and oh no doubt and think about the the impact and and what it brought to Anno's future career. Mm. I mean, the fact that they did miniature buildings like that that would later go on for Shin Godzilla. Because Shin Godzilla did use practical effects for the buildings. Um, mm. I I I found I I find Cutie Honey as, if not Ano's definitive like pre breakout. I don't know if breakouts because Evangelion was his breakout, but maybe yeah. his breakout for Tokusatsu specifically. I you know I think I think Cutie Honey is is if you're going to talk about Ano and Toku like yes Shin Godzilla yes Shin Ultraman yes Shin Kamen Rider but none of that could have happened without Cutie Honey oh yeah no doubt um, and maybe one day people can can understand how important Cutie Honey is I would argue to modern Tokusatsu. And this new wave that Ano and Higuchi have have brought in. Mm. Oh, it's it's undoubtedly very very important to at least Ano's filmography. That mm-hmm. I I don't think can be uh, stated enough. Just stylistically and with some of those ideas in the writing that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. So I. I even though Cutie Honey is n- by no means a masterpiece, it is – it's like sitting here and saying uh, – I'm trying to think here. Uh, Jun Fukuda's first Godzilla movie is not his best. Like, yeah, and? Mm-hmm. Fukuda would go on to do some of the most popular – help create some of the most popular villains in the franchise, like – yeah, Fukuda undoubtedly is a staple of Showa Godzilla. Mm. Um, I mean, Minya, that was a Fukuda thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Mecha Godzilla, like, like <laughs> you, you can't, you cannot beat Godzilla's metallic doppelganger. Like, that's Fukuda. Mm-hmm. That was Fukuda all on his own. So, yes, I, I, I think Ebra is not the best of the franchise or even in the top ten. But you can't talk about Showa Godzilla and the importance of what was brought from it without bringing up where Fukuda came from. Mm-hmm. And the same can be said for Ano here. Cutie Honey is what really brought Ano into Toku. And now I think Cutie Honey has more relevance in the tokusatsu discussion ever before. And I'm oh, thrilled yeah, that, we can, that we can sit here and talk about it. And even though we just complained for the last 45 minutes, we're now sitting here and saying, this is why this film is important. And this is why, even if it's not good, you should still view it. It's just it's it's an important film in modern tokusatsu. I mean, I think even as critical as we've been, we've also praised the film enough to, I think, show that we at least have respect for it mm-hmm. for what it is. Even even though you um, have have your hate boner for Arno, 
Um, <laughs> He's not a good director. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I, getting into this. I argument. heard the life leave your body from that one. I'm not getting into this argument with you. This episode's going to be long enough. Yeah. We're we're officially past the your, the commentary track has ended. Now we have moved on to the bonus material. Yeah, we're basically at Devil Man length. God damn it! <laughs> well, a little shorter. A little shoulder. Sh- 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 You're forgetting the twenty minutes. Oh God, yeah. But yeah, with that being said, I I mean I, I I'm off my soapbox. It's five in the morning. I've almost been up for twenty four hours, Rex. Oh, ain't that something? Ain't you special? Yeah. Do you want to tell the fine people where they can find your special stuff at? <laughs> Why, of course. If you, dear viewer, want or listener, sorry, I always say that. If you, dear listener, want to um, see check some out of my, check out Rex's my special stuff, my my specials that. That's that sounds interesting. I, I don't like what that implies, but if you want to check it out, um, by all means, go on YouTube, Rex Zeno, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, Instagram, Rex underscore Zeno. And if you want to check out my specials writing, then go on to the Tokusatsu Network. Yes, definitely check him out. And as for <laughs> me, you can find my links. No, His specials. My links, if you want to know where to find me, you can find me on YouTube at ET13Productions, on Twitter at ET13Productions, or on Instagram at ET13Productions. If you want to find my personal accounts, I'm not going to tell you where to find them, but it's not that difficult. I don't hide them that well. But as for the podcast, which is why you're here, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. Speaking of Apple Podcasts, let me go check real quick to see if we've received any new reviews. We have not yet. We are still sitting at 23 reviews and a 3.1 out of 5. So if you guys could please help us get that up to a 4, that would be awesome. We would love that. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I oh, I guess I do. I'm I'm recording on it. I liter- I literally can't even say I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. stop, you can. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. You can leave us a review on Spotify. They now offer that on the streaming app, so definitely do uh give leave us a review that way if you want. You can also tweet us and follow us on Twitter at k a i j u underscore c o n v e r s. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. Why are you laughing at me, Rex? When, when you just said lucky you, the you sounded really goofy. I was hoping you didn't hear that. Because <laughs> I heard it. And I was like, mm, just going to keep moving on. <laughs> Lucky you. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. If you enjoyed listening to 24 Hour Elijah, 
tell us I'm all about it. Tell us all about it. I'm sorry for you. I had to deal with him, and now you do too. We also have a Teespring store. It's just our logo for now. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, you can sport that awesome logo. It is pretty if, awesome. Yeah, if you'd like to chat with Rex and I uh, more, maybe even one-on-one, you can join our Discord server, and you can even chat with people that relate to you and the things you like. Mm-hmm. Most recently, the discussion on the server appears to have been about Shutsuke Kaneko and how he's directed both all three of the kaiju kings in the American fandom, that being Godzilla, Gamera, and Ultraman. <laughs> it's a great community and full of great people. I love it there. Mm. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. Uh, we post exclusives on the channel like bloopers, uh, minisodes, and even other things such as an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky. I've probably butchered that name now a hundred times. And we're even going to start oh, streaming God. soon. I'm pretty sure by the time this episode goes live, uh, we'll ha- we will have officially streamed. Oh. It's going to be great. Uh, we're going to try and do a monthly stream on this on the uh, channel, just having some fun, relaxing, talking whatever we want to talk about. How exciting. Yeah. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing these episodes and dealing with me. All yeah. of his links can be found in the show notes below. Please check him out. And along with stuff. Rex. Yeah. And along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song, and Grattan Conwell from Giant Monster BS, the podcast covering giant monsters, for composing the music for our theme song. Definitely check both of them out, Giant Monster BS, on any podcast platform, on Twitter and on Instagram, and Danny DeManna you can find on on not Instagram, on Twitter and on the internet at GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. I'm going to go to bed. Rex is going to do whatever Rex needs to do. And with that, a huge thank you to you guys for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set, we are in debt, there's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Just not too big now, baby. Conversation. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby. We love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.